Well, good morning and welcome to Rock Hills. We're so glad that you guys are here with us today. I believe it's going to be a great day and I pray that God speaks to every single one of us, regardless of where you've been or what you've done, what you came in here today, maybe you're facing or going through in life. Uh, We don't believe it's an accident that you're here, but I believe that God wants to speak to you today. So we're glad that you're here. If it's your first time or if you've been coming for a long time, it's an honor to have you guys here with us today. one thing I think, I think weird things are funny sometimes. Uh, I have a weird sense of humor, but sometimes I think those warning labels that uh, come on various appliances and such uh, can be quite humorous. Here's one, for example, and I guess, you know, somebody got sued for this at one point, so they had to put it on there, but do not use while sleeping, right? Pretty ridiculous. Let's go on to the next one here. I mean, it just speaks for itself, right? Do not swallow the hanger. Here's another one. I thought this one was pretty funny. Caution, this sign has sharp edges. Do not touch the edges of this sign. Also, by the way, as you'll notice at the bottom, the bridge is out ahead, just so you know. And then here's one more for you. Do not hold the wrong end of the chainsaw. Life has warnings sometimes, and those warnings are there to protect us, and you would think that we would know these things, but apparently sometimes we have to have those warnings in our lives, and the same is true with our spiritual walk. As we look through the Bible, there's a whole lot of warnings, and those warnings are there to keep us from grabbing the wrong end of the chainsaw, and you would think, who in the world would swallow a hanger? Who in the world would grab the moving end of the chainsaw, right, the part with the blades? But apparently somebody has done it at some point so that they had to put a warning on it. And Jesus knows us very well. When it comes to our souls, he knows that sometimes... We have to have some warnings, and we could even call those things God's grace. It's God's grace giving us this warning sticker on our lives in the Bible to help protect us. We've been talking about soul activity, loving God with all that we are, all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, loving our neighbor as ourselves. And as we do that, God has some warning labels for our souls so that our souls can be on track. And we're going to look at some of those today. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is sharing some vision with his disciples. He's telling them what is ahead and how he's going to suffer. His disciples give a little bit of kickback when he starts to talk about, and this is going to how I'm going to die. And Peter says, whoa, 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 that's not going to happen. And then Jesus responds with this in verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower... He must turn, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give it up for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Is anything in this world worth more than your soul? So Jesus is giving this warning. He's saying, if you want to follow me, if you want to love me, it's the opposite. It's counterintuitive to what you think. You have to lose yourself, let go of everything, take up your own cross, die to yourself, and follow me. Because the other option is gaining what we all want in this life, a lot of things in this life. But in the end, we end up losing our soul. Jesus said, if you want your soul to be alive and be healthy You've got to lose yourself and follow 
me. We can do a lot of great things in this life, and I hope that we all do a lot of great things in this life. I hope you have great aspirations to what God is calling you to do, what you can do with your career, what you can do with your marriage. I hope you've got some savings put aside for when you retire so that you can enjoy life. I hope that you uh, do well with whatever you set your hand to. I really do hope that we do that. But when that becomes our focus, we can end up looking at all the things that we want to gain and all the things that we want to become and be in this life and we can end up losing our own souls because we stop caring for our souls. There was a movie that came out a few years ago called The Wolf of Wall Street. It's a true story about a man named Jordan Belfort. He becomes super successful. And at, this is him right here. Uh, he's working on Wall Street. He's making deal after deal after deal. And he is probably the definition of hustle. He is just absolutely hustling. But in the midst of becoming so successful, he ends up self-destructing and losing everything that he is, everything that he's become, and everything that he has earned. He did an interview with Pierce Morgan a few years ago, and he said this. He said, I didn't lose my soul at once. I lost my soul a little here, a little there. I lost my, myself a little piece at a time. I became about as awful of a person as you can be. And the truth is, there were probably warning signs all along the way in Jordan's life. But he tasted of what it felt like to gain the whole world, and he wanted more, and it ended up destroying his life. And he realized later he became about as awful of a person as you can be. We're all wired to have the ability to miss those signs that God puts in our lives. I mean, let's face it. If you have a blow dryer at home that's in the box, you're not going to read that warning label that says, do not sleep with this on. And even if you do, you're going to ignore it because you think, duh, who would do that? We all have that potential when there's warning signs in our life to mock those warning signs, to miss those warning signs. I thought, who, who are some great theologians that could explain this? And I found two theologians that explain this really clearly for you in this illustration here. If you would go ahead and play it. Joker wants to race. Race? That's ridiculous. All right, come on. Let's go. Let's go. Put your window down! You want something? Uh, he's probably drunk. You're going the wrong way! What? You're going the wrong way! He says we're going the wrong way. Oh, he's drunk. How would he know where we're going? Yeah, how would he know? Thank you. Thanks a lot. Terrific. Thank you. <laughs> what a moron. They're going in the wrong direction. You're going to kill somebody.
When it comes to our souls, God is after our soul. Our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. He wants us to be whole. He wants us to be healthy. He wants us to be who he created us to be. But let's face it. We have a tendency to jack ourselves up. And the Bible can easily say, you're going the wrong way. And we can all say, ah, thank you. Thank you very much. And we can mock those warning signs. We can just ignore those warning signs. We can, we can medicate those warning signs so that we don't have to hear them. When we get uncomfortable in our souls, we can fill our souls with, with stuff. We can fill our souls with success. We can fill our souls with things that numb ourselves so that we don't have to feel or hear those warning signs. I mean, the truth is, we are the most in debt. We are the most overindulging. We are the most over-medicated people in all of human history. And all of those things are so that we can ignore the warning signs that come in our lives. We're all wired to fill our lives with pleasure, with medication, with stuff, with status, and to not pay attention to what's lying beneath. The question really is, how is your soul? Every one of you are a soul. You're not a being with a body. You are a soul. Yes, you are a being and yes, you have a body, but that's not who you are. When we're talking about your soul, we're talking about the real person that you are deep inside. And your soul is precious to God. So the enemy knows Satan's plan is if he can damage or destroy your soul, then he's won. Or even better, he'll just let you do it yourself, right? He'll just let you choose the things in life so that you go the wrong way and end up destroying your soul. Genesis 2.7 says this, And Jehovah God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, And man became a living soul. We are God's creation. We are made by God and for God, not just as a body, not just as a brain, but as a soul. And God is after our souls. As we're going through this series, Soul Activity, we've been looking at Jesus' greatest command for us. And it's this, love the Lord your God with all your heart heart, like we talked about last week. And then he says, love the Lord with all of your soul. He goes on to say, love the Lord with your mind and your strength. We're going to be talking about that over the next couple of weeks. But how do we love God with all of our soul? We want to approach God by asking him to reveal his truth to us today. God, how do we love you with our soul? How do we take care of the soul that you have given us? And so I pray that would be all of our prayer today is that, God, would you come and search my soul? If you're watching online today through that camera up there, I pray that you would also ask yourself, how do I take care of my soul? Would you guys pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. Your word tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Father, that you created us on purpose with a purpose. And Father, that we aren't just a body and a brain, but Father, that we have a soul. And we say that we need you. Father, would you give us wisdom? And would you teach us how to care for the souls that you have given us? So we are souls. 
We want God to reveal to us the condition of our souls. As we look at this, we can look through the Bible, and the Bible uses the term for soul over 300 times throughout the Bible. But the Greek word vasuke, and every time I say that, I feel like I'm probably saying a bad word in Spanish, but vasuke uh, is the word for life, yourself, your inner person. And that word is used over a thousand times throughout the Bible. So God cares very much about who we are on the inside. And let's face it, our soul can be disturbed. Our soul can tremble. Our soul can be in anguish. It can be dismayed. It can grieve. It can be bitter. It can be troubled. Our soul can love. Our soul can be poured out. Our soul can be redeemed. Our soul can be healed. Our soul can wait for the Lord. Our soul can sing praises. Our soul can prosper. Our soul can delight. Our soul can rejoice. And ultimately, our soul can take refuge in God. Your soul is the real you. When you say you're going to bear your soul to somebody, what does that mean? You're going to say, I'm going to tell you about who I really am, what I am really going through. It's, it's all encompassing. When we talk about your heart, your will, your emotions, your soul encompasses all of that. What we do with our body, what we do with our minds, what we do with our emotions, they all have an effect on our soul, positive or negative. I have a, a little place we like to get away to every August, and it's in the mountains out in West Texas, way out there, where there's no cell phone service, uh, where we go out in this cabin. We don't have internet. We don't have television. It's just a good time to get away, sit on a porch, climb some mountains, take a drive, breathe in the mountain air. And every year I can say, that is good for my soul. We have to ask ourselves, how is our soul? Because with everything that's going on in your life, your soul can get worn out. Your soul can take damage and abuse. And so we have to ask ourselves, how is our soul? Jesus addresses this in Mark chapter 4, verse 3. He, uh, he's giving us a parable here. He said, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across the field, some of the seed fell on the footpath and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on sh shallow soil uh, with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns and grew up and choked out the tender plants so that they produced no grain. The concept of soul, soil here that Jesus is talking about is a parable for our souls. All right, if you need an easy way to link that, link those two things. You can just go West Texas with me where I grew up. You know, you plant seed in the soil, right? How's your soul? You can just put the two words together right there, right? So it's a parable soil for our souls. And he's going to describe four different conditions for the human soul in the soil. And we're all in this story somewhere. And so as you try to find yourself in the story, I want you to realize this, just a quick side note here. You are the only person responsible for the condition of your soul. I am the only person responsible for the condition of my soul. Regardless of what I've been or, or what I've been through, I am still responsible for the condition of my spiritual growth, of my spiritual health. Listen, 95% of everything that you hear from this stage, even though I, I work hard on it or Al works hard on it, Stephen works hard on it, so that we can give you guys a good message, 95% of this message is on you. 
Because we could talk all day long, but really all that matters is what you then go and do with it. Uh, I could give you a subpar message. I know you're really surprised by that, right? But I could give you a subpar message and to the hungry soul, they could still get something out of it and walk out of here and go, man, I want to see more about what God has to say about this or something clicked and I'm going to be able to draw closer to God. But as we see in the Bible, even Jesus himself could give the message and people could still walk away and go, ah, I've heard it before. And they could walk away unchanged. So how is your soul? What you hear here and 95% of what you get from this stage and every time you come to church affects your soul, but 95% of that is on you. How are you going to respond to it? So Jesus is teaching this parable and even his own disciples, after he shared that, those last verses we just read, they pull him aside and say, what exactly did you mean by that? What exactly did you mean when you were describing the soils? And they're having some trouble understanding. So Jesus goes on to explain. In verse 14, he says this, The farmer plants the seed by taking God's word to others. The seed fell, that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The first soil that we see here, represents uh, a soil that is resistant to the seed. The first picture is that of a resistant soul. A resistant soul may tolerate living close to God, but it keeps itself under the delusion that being around spiritual things is the same thing as letting God work in your life. How many times have we been there? Maybe you're there. You know, you can be around spiritual people. You can even come to a church service and you can hear it up here and let it go in one ear and out the other, or maybe it's in your mind, but you never let it transform your life. Nothing in your life is moving towards God. You may have a lot of questions and you may use those questions to keep God at a distance. Now, hear me on this. I'm not saying check your brain at the door, that you shouldn't go, well, what about this? Or what about that? Does that conflict with what the Bible says about this? I think you should always be thinking and asking questions. But if your questions keep you from allowing God to ever help you move closer to God, you might have a resistant soul that might keep you at a distance from God. So you have to ask yourself more, what's beneath the surface? Have I let the hurts in my life for legitimate reasons keep me from God. There was a guy way, way, way back many years ago. He even, some of his writings formed uh, the theology of many great theologians that uh, we have today. But his name was St. Augustine. And he wrote in his confessions, uh, as he began his walk with God, and he had a lot of questions and things that he struggled with. He grew up in a family that had some knowing of God. So he had some foundation of the knowledge of God. But late in his teen years, he moved away. He describes himself as a narcissist and he threw himself to every pleasure that he could possibly find. And all the while he was asking himself, how would God possibly fit into this? And he wrote this in one of his writings. He said, Lord, grant me chastity and grant me continence, but not yet. In other words, God, I hope that you work in my life, but just later on in my life because I want to keep experiencing every pleasure that I possibly can. The more he sinned, the more he realized that in his life he had no power over sin 
that it now, much like the wolf of Wall Street, controlled his life. And one day he finds himself sobbing on the floor and he begins to read scripture. And as he does, he said that it penetrated his soul. When we find that our soul is resistant, the way to change that in our lives is through brokenness. St. Augustine found himself in a place of brokenness, right? If the ground is hard, like Jesus is describing here, the only way that we're going to be able to plant something in that ground is to do what? To break it up. And if we find our souls in a place of resistance, we have to say, God, would you come and break me? Because my soul has come, become so hard that I can no longer draw near to you. Augustine later wrote, he said, All my reasoning about good and evil was really just a smokescreen for a more fundamental issue. I didn't want to submit my life to God. I don't know if that's you today. You may have been at that place at some point in your life, or you may be at that uh, place in your life today. I've seen it too many times as a pastor. This misconception that God is going to suck all of the fun out of your life, when really it's just the opposite. As we surrender to God... He can take us on the greatest adventure that we would ever know. That's why he said in the earlier verse, to find your life, you must lose it. But it's our natural tendency to think, I can find what's going to please me best. So I'm going to be resistant to God. The resistant soul needs to take the path of embracing God in brokenness. So if you find yourself in that place today, your prayer may be, God, would you come and break me? so that I can draw close to you again. Jesus goes on to explain more of the parable in verse 16. He says, The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they did not have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing in God's word. What Jesus is describing here is a shallow soul. The roots don't go down very deep. They hear God's word. It goes in their ears and they have some knowledge of it, but it never gets deep enough into their lives to, re- to change their lives. This is what we call religion. These are people who are religious people that know what the Bible says, that know churchy answers, that they know the Sunday school answers, right? And they probably have some morals that they hold on to, but they just let it stop there. It's a very fragile soul. It's like that weed that grows in your driveway crack. You know what I'm talking about? It wasn't there yesterday, but you go out the next day and it's three inches tall. But it's not hard to get out, right? You just reach down and with two fingers, you can just pluck it right up. Because it's never gone down deep. It may grow quickly, but then it's easily destroyed. With no root, life can't be sustained. For a plant, for your spiritual life as well, for your soul. If there's no roots there, life can't be sustained. And if our walk with God is based upon what we feel like we have to do, because I feel obligated to go to church every once in a while or every week or whatever it is, or if our walk with God is simply based on what our parents told us to do, whether you're a teenager or an adult, if that is all our walk with God is based on, there's not going to be any roots that give our life a firm foundation and help it to grow deep. And as soon as adversity hits, as soon as you get that devastating phone call, as soon as you lose your job, as soon as divorce papers hit, or whatever it may be, we're going to go, God, where were you? And the roots will just be plucked up. With no root, life can't be sustained. Honestly, many of us live there. Our relationship with God is just on the surface 
God desires to have a deep and real connection with every one of us. If we find ourselves in a place where we have a shallow soul, we need to take the path of transparency. It has to be a real commitment. It has to be a personal commitment. We need to be transparent with God and we need to be transparent with others about how real our relationship with God is. And the, the best place to do that is just sit down. Take some time this week and just pray. Spend some time with God. This is where spiritual disciplines are awesome. Spending time reading your Bible, spending time praying, spending time listening to the Lord. And if you think, I don't have a clue about how to do that, we've got an expert here in our church, Jan Hasler, that loves to help people understand how to do that. And I encourage you to catch her after church and just say, how can I begin to develop my relationship with God and, and she would love, I'm sure, to help you. I didn't ask her about that, but uh, I just scheduled some appointments for her. So there you go. How real is your relationship with God? If you find yourself in dry times, in shallow times, pray through the scriptures. Just open up the Psalms and begin to read the Psalms. The Psalms are full of people going through hard times, agonizing times, and saying, God, where are you? But I trust you. And so we can begin to pray through those things in our own lives. Jesus continues with the next type of soil. In verse 18, the seed fell among the thorns, represented, uh, the thorns represented others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. I call this the wandering soul. Someone who has experienced God, but over time, as life tends to crowd in a little bit and things are appealing to pursue in our lives, we slowly begin to drift away from the calling that God has on our life, from the presence of God in our lives. And I see this a lot. People, people have an experience with God and they, they begin reading their Bible and having this relationship with God, connecting with other people in church. And then just as life goes on, for, for good reasons, oftentimes, they just begin to slowly drift away. They stop praying. They stop going to church. They stop returning calls when Al calls and says, hey man, how are you doing? Or whatever it may be. We just kind of slowly drift away from that. Now, just to give you a little side note here, this is where much of the church in the modern world is today. Because church, back a few generations ago, people, people were committed to that. But in today's culture, here in America, church is an option. And it's a good option, right? I mean, some of you, you I want to go. I want to go every chance I get, or I go pretty regularly. Kind of like the gym, right? If I go to the gym a few times a week, I feel like, man, I'm doing great. If I go to the gym just once a week, I think, well, it's better than not going at all. And a lot of us can be in that place in our lives where we think, yeah, I'm doing good enough. But when we just do good enough, we tend to slowly start to drift away from where God has called us to be. Now, this gets even more prevalent when you live in an affluent area, in an affluent area of San Antonio. And here's the reason. You guys have options, right? You've got plenty of things that you could have been doing today. And you've got plenty of things that you can do next week. You can travel out of town if you want. And all of those things are great. But we have to guard our hearts so we don't begin to drift away 
from God himself, from his presence. And I don't want to get legalistic like saying, you've got to be here every week and I'm going to be taking attendance. All I'm saying is, in your soul, you've got to make sure that you're keeping the main thing, the main thing, or else we end up missing the warning signs and we have a wandering soul. I have to be intentional in my life to say I'm going to spend time with God. I'm going to spend time with God's people. I'm going to spend time reading God's word so that I can continually grow closer to him. This last week, uh, we got away for spring break during the week and uh, we went to the mountains in New Mexico and the snow wasn't that great, but we found a little place where there was some man-made snow and me and the kids went and did some inner tubing and you go up a lift and you go down and there's, there's two cones that are down there um, that you're supposed to stop when you get down to that area. But you can get going so fast just at the speed that, that you're going down that hill that you can kind of lose track of where you're at. And if you're not watching where you're at, when you get to the end of that run, you could easily drift off course and it could be dangerous if you're not looking for where that cone is at. And our lives can be the same way. They can be filled with a lot of good stuff to where we begin going at the speed of life and we don't even realize there's my perspective. I've got to stay in line with that marker right there or I could end up causing an accident or my soul could end up damaged as I crash into somebody else going down the mountain, right? The next, uh, one more thing there. If we have a wandering soul, the path that we need to take is the path of intentionality. In other words, I'm going to commit to what you have called me to, God. And you got to ask yourself that question. I'm not going to tell you this is what God's calling you to do. You have to ask yourself the question, God, what are you calling me to in life? If we find ourselves with the wandering soul, we need to take the path of intentionality. And the last soil that we see is the receptive soil. Jesus said this, And the seed fell on good soil, which represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. In other words, this soul is soft and receptive to say, God, whatever you want, come and search me. And through that, remember Jesus said, to find your life, you must lose it. When we lose our lives and we have this receptive soul to say, God, whatever you want, not only do we end up having gain, but it's more gain than we ever could have had on our own. Right on our own, we could have accumulated this much gain in life, this much joy and fulfillment in life. But Jesus says, when we have a receptive soul, it can be 30, 60, a hundred times. In other words, Jesus says, I want you to have life and have it to the full. When we have this receptive soul, we find out what life and its fullness is. The seed takes root. We discover abundant life. The best marker for a receptive soul is that your soul can be at rest. When you go through difficult times in life, when stress hits, when the bills are piling up, you can still be at rest knowing that God is control. It doesn't mean that you live irresponsibly, but you have your soul at rest in the presence of the Lord. We read some of Jeremiah 6.16 a second ago, and I want to read the rest of the verse to you now. This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around as the old godly way, walk in it, travel its path, and you will find rest for your souls. Beyond life circumstances and situations that we all face in life, we can have peace knowing that God is in control when our soul is healthy. 
I try to do my very best to be responsible with what God has put before me. But I have to be at rest trusting that as I do my best, God will do his part. I have to honor God and live for him. And then the rest of it, I trust God to do. I read this quote uh, as I was preparing for the message. God will not do for you what you can do for yourself, but he may do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Great example of this. All of you may be familiar with the story of the loaves and the fish, right? There's 5,000 plus people gathered and Jesus says, hey, why don't you go feed everybody? And they've got a sack lunch, five pieces of bread and two fish. And all they could do is give Jesus what they had. Here's what we have. We can give you all that we got. And then Jesus takes care of the rest. All you can do as a receptive soul is say, Jesus, here I am. I'm broken. There's some places where I don't know if I trust you, but I'm trying. God, I want to be who you created me to be. I want to become who you've created me to become. And as we become that receptive soul, Jesus does all the rest. And we can simply rest in him, trusting God to do what he wants to do in our lives. I have to wholeheartedly do what God asked me to do and trust God to do the rest. The path to a receptive soul is the path of rest, resting in God's presence. There was a man named Horatio Spafford many years ago. He was a songwriter. He was a businessman. He lived uh, in America in the late 1800s. And he had a young son who passed away of scarlet fever. And I can't think of anything worse than having to bury your own child. And um, it was an outbreak in the Chicago area at that time. He owned a real estate company in Chicago. And there was a massive fire in Chicago that destroyed his entire real estate business. So now he's lost a child. He's lost his entire business. And so he decides he needs to make a move in his life. So he puts his wife and his remaining children on a ship to sail back to England. And that he's going to follow them soon as he closes up all of his business ventures. They get on this boat and it sets sail for England. And somewhere in the middle of the sea, that boat ends up in a storm and it capsizes and sinks His wife managed to survive on a lifeboat, but the children all passed away. She finally made it to England, and she sent this message to Horatio uh, in a telegram. It said this, saved alone, what shall I do? He goes on a boat to meet her. And as he's sailing on that ship, I mean, you guys can imagine, back in that day, it's not just like you picked up a phone and said, hey, this is what happened. And you said, I'm jumping on the next plane. I'll be right there. This is, this is a long journey. So he's on this boat and he's got a lot of time to think. He lost his son. He lost all of his business. And now he has lost all of his kids. And he's got a distraught wife who is waiting for him. And as he's sailing on that ship to go meet his wife, He sails across the spot and uh, the captain of the ship said, this is where the last ship sank in this area right up there. And Horatio penned the words to this song that many of you will be familiar with. When peace like a river attends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, 
It is well with my soul. Even in the darkest of our moments, God wants to take care of your soul. And a receptive soul, no matter what life throws at you, can be at a place where you can say, I am at rest. I'm hurting and I've got questions and I may be angry, but I can trust in you, God, because it is well with my soul. I don't know where you're at today. Do you have a receptive soul? Do you have a wandering soul? Do you have a shallow soul? Do you have a resistant soul? All of us can find ourselves in one of those spots. But we can cry out to God. And God can heal our souls. Let's take just a little bit to pray and worship.
Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love our souls. Father, the person that we really are deep inside, that we may try to hide, that we may try to medicate, that we may try to fix on our own. And Father, we realize that there is nothing that we can do on our own to fix ourselves. Father, hopefully we realize that there's nothing that we can do on our own to truly satisfy ourselves. But Father, that we need you. Father, I pray for those who are here today that may be hurting, that may be confused, that may have a lot of questions. Father, I pray that you would call to their souls, draw them to you. Father, I pray for those souls who are here today, Father, that are just ready to surrender all that they are to you. Lord, I thank you that in this moment we can surrender. Lord, we can give you control and we can let go that's you, I just encourage you, take a moment, just ask the Lord to be in control. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus to die for us. We can surrender all that we are to you. Lord, thank you that you died, that our souls could be whole, that you could save our souls, Father. By your cross, we are forgiven and made new. Our souls are made whole. Give us a receptive soul, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen.